So why don't I open with a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and launch into this. Almighty God, how incredible and awesome you are. How this time of year we reflect on the coming of your Son, his advent, being born to a poor family who were, for all intents and purposes, somewhere between homeless and refugees, and we're reminded of of those families who are struggling this time of year and who do not have a place to stay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings in our lives, and most of all, the most incredible of all, your Son, who decides to leave his throne in heaven and to come down and to live as, again, a mere homeless or even refugee in life here on earth. Lord Jesus, we, we look at what you did for us and how amazing and how beautiful is your plan of salvation that the Father laid out for all of us to follow. And you obediently followed that all the way to the cross and died in our place. And we can never repay the debt of gratitude. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we can come and and contemplate the words that have been left behind in your book, the Scriptures. We thank you, Lord. Bless our time this morning. Amen. Okay. So, um, for most of the sermons that I put together, um, this is a ESV study Bible. And it has a series of theological notes from place to place. And of course, there would be one on love, right? So it's like, okay, let's find out what the ESV editors thought. And these three of the guys that helped put this together, um, I have a very high regard for. Um, Spruill, Grudem, and Piper. And um, the, those are some of the big names that, in, in our generation who have put in a lot of thought about theology. And... Um, this section on love starts out with an incredibly beautiful and profound statement, so much so that I actually included it in the summary for this particular sermon. And uh, I paraphrase slightly, but the statement is, this is love. It is out of love that the Father gave the Son, that the Son would give his life. The Father and the Son gave the Spirit to save sinners from misery and to lead the church into glory for all eternity to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever. And it was for all of this that Jesus came to earth as a baby. And I, I was really struck by that statement. And... Um, how it so succinctly put everything together 
to understand God's plan of salvation. And uh, so my immediate first reaction after reading that was I wanted to start today by looking at the first and the last instances of the word love that were used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's four, right? There'd be first and last in the Old Testament and first and last in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, the first place it comes up is in Genesis 24. So I'm going to read Genesis 24, 1 through 4, and 62 to 67. And this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And this is just after Sarah had died. So Isaac's mom had just died. So 24, 1 through 4, and 62 to 67. So 1 through 4. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that you may make you, may make you swear by the Lord and the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So Abraham gets his servant and comes and makes this poor guy place his hand under his thigh, and that's, that's the custom to, to swear to your master. And he wants him to swear that he will go and find a wife from his own people. Now keep in mind, Abraham had traveled a long ways from near Babylon, okay, and he had come all the way to Canaan. And this is probably, it's probably about the distance from northern Cal, the, the border with Oregon all the way to the border with Mexico. It's, it's about 800 miles. It's, this is not a trivial trip to make. And so, Abraham is telling his servant, you're going on a trip for me, and this is what you're doing, okay? And so he does this, and he finds a woman, a young woman, to bring back. And she comes with him. I mean, th to, this is a really remarkable thing, okay? And this guy comes, and he explains why he's there to her father, and she comes with him all the way back, not knowing who this family is. It's completely an arranged marriage. And in some parts of the world, that is still the way it is. Um, there's an intriguing part of, of, of my family is that my mom's parents were an arranged marriage. They did not know each other before they got married. Um, and um, he was quite a bit older. My grandfather was quite a bit older than my, my grandmother. Uh, it would be um, probably, it's more than 25 years difference in age between the two of them. So, um, so in this case, the servant brings this young lady all the way back 
to meet his master, the son, the son of, of, of uh, Abraham, Isaac. Okay, so now we skip down, and the servant is bringing the young lady back. Okay, so this is verses 62 to 67. And this is the very first instance of the word love that is used in the entire Bible that I could find. Okay, now Isaac had returned from Bir Lehe Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. So this is way south in Israel. And, uh, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and asked the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that had ha he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So the, the order here is fascinating, and, and I'm sure most of you have heard this before, but the completely arranged marriage, and they get married, and she becomes his wife, and he loves her. And notice, that's the last thing that comes. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death by this. And after Rebekah becomes Isaac's wife, and then he loves her. And this is the first instance of the word love that is used in the Bible. There's this image that we have of the two of them coming together and becoming one person, one flesh. And so this is the image that we have of Jesus and the church. Jesus covering us so that we can stand in the throne room of God the Father and sing praise someday. Okay, the last one that is in the Old Testament is in Zechariah. Zechariah 8, and it's uh, 18 through... Is it just 18 and 19? Yeah, it's just 18 and 19. Okay, like I said, you... you you're going to have to put up with me because of certain things that happened to me this week. <laughs> so Zechariah 8, 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So the celebrations of feasts and fasting shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. All right. How do we celebrate Christmas? The big celebration is Christmas night, right? The Christmas dinner. The entire family gathering together. Did you ever stop and think? Now, you notice here it says the fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, 
and the tenth month. Okay. You know that the old calendar, the year began on March 1st. So March was the first month. You go all the way through. September is the 7th. October the 8th. November the 9th. December the 10th. December is the 10th month. And here we have an Old Testament reference to a celebration and a feast that happens in December every year. You know the old saw that the world keeps telling us, oh, you people have just made off with the, 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 the winter solstice event and, and the pagan rituals, and that's why Christmas is there. Here is an Old Testament reference to celebrating the feast at the end of December. So this is at least 520 years before the birth of Christ. Okay. So, celebrations of feasts and fasting shall be to the house of Judah. Seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. All right. So it's a season of joy and gladness. And um, love truth and peace all right we flip over to the new testament now matthew 5 43 to 48 matthew 5 43 to 48 jesus is teaching you all know this one you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here Jesus is telling us that we are to love our enemies. And this is one of the traits of being a Christian. Okay. Now we go to the end of the New Testament. John's Revelation. Chapter 12, all right? Revelations 12. And in this passage, the archangel Michael is waging war on Satan. And Satan and his hosts are cast down from heaven. So now we're in Revelation 12, verses 11 and 12. Revelation 12, 11 and 12. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The expression here signifies the faithful love God has that is greater than our own lives. And that is why it is the people who love God greater than their own lives 
that shall be saved in this case. And that's what John writes. So, of course, John crops up many, many times when we're speaking of love, the love of God. So 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the Apostle John gives us the image of God's love here and the love we should have for one another. And I love the statement here where God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So John 3.16 gets quoted a lot. In fact, um, I'm wearing my John 3.16 tie today because because I knew we were talking about this this morning. All right. So John 3.16. But the whole passage is is actually through 21. So we're looking at John 3.16 through 21. And we all know 16. You can recite this off the top of your head. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You notice it's not, you do these things and that's evidence of your faith. You do these things is evidence of what God has done. And and this is actually something that... So, God so loved the world, that that verse gets used a lot. That piece of that verse gets used a lot. And everyone immediately thinks that means Jesus saved the whole world. But we know that not everyone goes to heaven. So, did Jesus die for them and their sins? And the answer has to be no. No. Because if Jesus had died for their sins, they would be saved. But they are not saved. If God is sovereign, follow me here, if God is sovereign, Jesus did not die for those people's sins. Jesus only dies for the people who are saved. God designs it this way. 
So when it says the world, what it really means is the church, the people that are saved. And he gave his only son. And now you have this, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus now, many people immediately think, oh, this is us choosing Jesus. Well, who made those people believe in Jesus? Who made those people to begin with? God makes us. And if God creates us to have that role, to be saved, once again, God is the one who is choosing. The sovereignty of God is complete. And this is the only way the sovereignty of God can be complete, okay, is if God chooses us. Now, we think we're choosing God, right? But in fact, when God displays how beautiful he is, you cannot resist the grace that you are being presented with. And you will immediately choose to be with God. God has created you to have that role, to be that way. And so God creates you in order to choose him. And therefore, you are a part of the world that Jesus dies for. There's a long, huge development in how you get to this point. The other interesting thing is, only Christianity has the answer to how does God overcome sin? If you look at Judaism, they don't have the answer to that question. If you look at Islam, they don't have the answer to that question. And all the other religions do not have an answer to that question either. You cannot overcome sin. The only one that has the answer to how sin is overcome is Christianity. I've read a lot of that stuff. I have yet to see anyone else who can answer that problem. Christianity is the only one that has an answer to that problem. Okay. Psalm 36, 5 and 6. Psalm 36, 5 and 6. You know this one because we have a song that uses these words. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness like the mighty mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. We sing this one, right? And I love it. And that last line, man and beast you save, Hmm, maybe dogs do go to heaven. Because it's right there in Psalms. Okay. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart 
so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Later on, by the way, um, I'm just going to read the verses because the verses are self-explanatory. But you will find favor and good success for having steadfast love and faithfulness. John, once again, John 14, 15 through 24. And Jesus is talking to the apostles, to the disciples here. John 14, 15 to 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth from the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will be manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here we have Jesus explaining that if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. And because of that, the Father will love us. Later on, John again writes down, John 15, 12 to 17. John 15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you know what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So this isn't just a suggestion on Jesus' part, right? Jesus commands us to love one another. It's not a request, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Now, Paul isn't the sort of individual that you would normally associate with trying to talk about love. You know, you immediately think John, right? <clears throat> Here's Paul. 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Well, 
8 and 9. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And then shortly after this, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. And 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter, is, is right here. And you know this one as well. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the Apostle Paul's classic exposition on the love of God. Back to John. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, we already talked about John 3.16. We're now going to look at 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Later on, 1 John 5, 1 through 4. 1 John 5, 1 through 4. 
And now we connect the love of God and what Jesus does with Christmas. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. I love it when John gets on a roll and he starts explaining things. Even I can get it. I love that. Okay. Mark 12. Mark 12, 28 to 31. Mark 12, 28 to 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. <coughs> John 13, 31 to 35. And this is very near the end. John 13, 31 to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so as a closing thought on the love of God, I leave you with this. And so we have the love of God. And all of this comes this short passage at this point. Luke 2, 1 through 5. Luke 2, 1 through 5. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. This is the love of God. Let me pray. 
Almighty Lord, how incredible is your plan of salvation. We stand in awe of all that you have put together in the way that it is formed, the way that it is shaped. <clears throat> that you would choose your son to come down to show us what love is. Lord Jesus, you are so incredible, so beautiful, and so amazing. You are the one that saves us and brings us to the Father. I imagine that time where you bring each of us before your Father and says, these are my friends. I love them. I died for them to bring them here to you. Lord, that is so amazing and so beautiful. And there is nothing that we can ever do to ever repay you for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that blessing that is beyond measurement. And we stand in complete awe of your having done this for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you at how amazing and beautiful and incredible this act of love is.